The book of Yirmiyahu, 52 chapters, much of which are indictments of Israel. Uh, there's an awful lot of repetition. There are prophecies of impending doom. But in addition to that, in addition to the prophecies, most of which, not all of which, but most of which are about the impending destruction, there are also chapters of consolation. And what makes the book particularly interesting is, unlike the other great prophets, there's the interweaving of the prophecies themselves, which Yirmiyo has been appointed to deliver to the people, but there's also the personal life of Yirmiyahu, apart from the political world in which the book is situated. There's the personal life of Yirmiyo, there's how Yirmiyo responds to the mission that he's been given, and that makes it in particularly very interesting. One sees the prophet not just as a deliverer of messages, but one sees the prophet from the personal side, from the struggles, from the difficulties, from the torment of this great prophet. So the book of, book of Yirmiyo is really unique in that sense. He's one of the three big prophets that we have in that tradition. The order that we have it is Yeshayahu, prophet Isaiah, and then we have Yirmiyo, of course, followed by Yechezkel, the 48 chapters of Yechezkel. So now we're going to be looking at the story of Yirmiyahu. In the uh, order of the prophets, as we have it in that tradition, Isaiah is before Yirmiyo. Yeshayahu, Yirmiyo and Yechezkel. But actually, in the Talmud, there's a different view, and that has Yirmiyo immediately following the book of Mulachim. And the reason for that is that the book of Mulachim, fundamentally, is a book about exile. It's about somebody sitting in exile and asking the question, how did we arrive at this place? How did we get in this mess in the first place? That's the perspective of the book of Kings. So it's not just the kings at the end of the book, who are, of course, very central to the book of Yirmiyahu. As the book of Yirmiyahu says, he prophesizes in the day of Yoshiyahu, in the days of Yehoiakim, and finally, Tzidkiyahu. So these are the kings after Yoshiyahu, kings that are highly problematic, and during whose reign the temple is destroyed and Judah is exiled. The book of Yirmiyahu, in fact, doesn't end with that because it talks even after Tzidkiyahu's uh, exile and uh, it refers to what happens afterwards. The story of Gedaliah, the remnant that remains in Israel and in the book of Yirmiyahu, as we will see, that remnant essentially goes down to the land of Egypt. Yirmiyahu says not to do it. They don't pay attention. And Yirmiyahu is, is taken with them down to Mitzrayim, down to the land of Egypt, where he continues to prophesy. But the Book of Kings is somebody sitting in somewhere and saying, how do we get in this mess in the first place? And it doesn't start with Sikio and not even with Menashe. It goes all the way back, and the seeds of the destruction can be found already in the very building of the kingship, in the story of Shlomo, Shlomo marrying the daughter of Paro, Shlomo's behavior in the way he builds the Migdash, all of these, the seeds of destruction, are already been sown. So the book of Yirmiyahu is about impending destruction. It's about what happens during the destruction of the temple and the banishment of the people. So from that standpoint, the book of Yirmiyahu makes perfect sense to follow the book of Mulachim, which is a tradition found already in the Talmud. But the accepted way in which we 
encounter the books of Yirmiyahu is we find Yirmiyahu after the prophet of Isaiah, all the prophecies of Isaiah at the end of Isaiah, of course, are prophecies of consolation. And Yirmiyahu, in our tradition, we study after we complete the book of Yeshayahu. So the beginning of chapter 1 speaks of the appointment of Yirmiyahu as prophet. There's an introductory set of phrases, talks about when Yirmiyahu prophesied. And then in verse number 4, The word of God came to me, and the word of God is, Before I created you in the womb, I selected you. Before you were born, I consecrated you, Hikdashticha. I appointed you a prophet concerning the nations. So we have a, a remarkable statement. You've been chosen before you were born. And Yirmiyot's response to God informing him that he's been chosen. Oh, whoa. Oh, Lord God. I can't speak. I'm a young man. Don't say I'm a boy. Wherever you go, wherever I send you, you will speak. I'll tear up it, Nahem. Do not be afraid in verse number 8. I will be there to save you, declares God. So we have a response of the initiate saying, I'm not the right man for the job. And actually, this is certainly not the first time, nor the only time, that we encounter such a statement. The most obvious parallel to the choosing of Yirmiyahu is the story of Moshe in chapter 3, chapter 4 of the book of Exodus. There Moshe is informed by God at the scene of the burning bush that I have chosen you to go down to Egypt to speak to Pharaoh and to take my people out of the land of Egypt. And chapter 3 and chapter 4 of the book of Exodus are Moshe's arguments with God, various arguments with God, as to why he is the one who should not be chosen, not be taken. He has different arguments. Who am I to speak to Pharaoh? Who am I to speak to the people? And I can't speak altogether. I'm not a talker. And they're going to ask for a sign. And they're going to ask for your name. And at the end of it all, send somebody else. God parries all of Moshe's arguments. But at the end of the day, in the negotiation between Moshe and God, God gives in on two points. You can take a staff and do miracles. That was not God's initial intention. And secondly, you don't go alone. Your brother Aaron, he'll be happy to assist you who be, as it were, your prophet. You will be for him a God, and he will be your prophet. He will speak. He's a good talker. That's the, that's the negotiation. But bottom line is Moshe initially and consistently throughout that episode tries to argue with God and say that I'm not the right one for the job. Now over here, it's much briefer. And here Yirmiyah simply says, I'm too young. I have no experience. Well, you're dati daber. I'm not a talker. And God says, 
Don't worry about that. Don't say you're not a talker. I'll tell you what to say. I'll command you what to say and you will speak. And then God adds, don't be afraid. I will save you. And of course, when someone says, don't be afraid, that's when we begin to be afraid. So it's a dangerous mission. This is a very important point in the book of Yirmiyahu. It's a dangerous mission. And uh, nonetheless, you've been appointed, and you've been appointed before you were born. In the womb. Even before that, I thought of you as the one, as my spokesperson, who would deliver my message. Now, in the case of Moshe, it's different. Moshe was not chosen before he before he was born. Moshe is chosen in the Torah in the context of what he has already done. Namely, we know that in chapter 2 of Exodus, he has slain the Egyptian who was beating the Jew. He's already taken a stand, not only against injustice, but specifically against the slavery imposed on the Jewish people in the land of Egypt. It's in that context that Moshe is chosen, and the Torah even suggests that there's nobody else. Because it says that Moshe looks this way and he looks that way. She saw there was no one else. So Moshe sees there's nobody else, and one can take that to mean that not just no one else in that particular context. There is nobody else. Moshe is the one person who understands the dangers of slavery, one person who's taken a stand against slavery, and perhaps also he has some access to royalty. He was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter, although the Torah never suggests that he has any kind of intimate connection to Pharaoh. But it's clear in the story he's the only candidate, but only candidate based on what he's done. Now, in the case of Yirmiyahu, that's not so. He's been chosen before, before he was born. And the second point, the second distinction that we should make at this point, is that there are two different tasks. The task of Moshe in the Torah is not just to be a prophet. Yes, he's called the greatest prophet. But his task in the Chumash, as we read the Torah, is to take the people out of Egypt. His very name, Moshe, the one who draws out, speaks to his mission. He is to be a leader of the Jewish people. He is a teacher. He is a visionary. He brings down to the people the word of God. He's the great prophet. And as a prophet, of course, he also prays for the people. First time we encounter prophecy, it's Abraham who is described as a Navi. God said to Avimelech in chapter 20 of Preshit, return the man's wife, he's a prophet, he will pray for you and you will live. So the prophet has two functions. The prophet prays for the people, and we'll see this in Yirmiyahu as well, but the prophet brings down God's word to the people. And uh, that's Moshe's task. The truth of the matter is that he's a leader. In the case of Yirmiyahu, fundamentally his task is to tell the people what God is wants them to hear, to bring God's message to the people. So that's a distinction between the two, those two critical distinctions. But in point of fact, there is something very parallel about this, the choosing of the leader. And these are not the only two cases in which we see that a leader has been chosen and that the leader has to go through some kind of process in order to be chosen and that the leader has a right of initiation and that there's some question about whether the leader fully embraces initially the task to which he has been assigned. In the case of Yirmiyahu, 
it is, one might say, a thankless task, and it's also a difficult task. God has said, I will protect you. I will save you. So the reader already knows in chapter 1 that Yirmiyo is in for a very difficult time. How difficult, nobody could possibly imagine.